Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is going really, really well. Thank you so much. No technical difficulties at all here. We are killing it. In fact, this is as seamless as a New York Islanders Vancouver Canucks draft floor trade. Just no complication, no confusion whatsoever. Everyone understands exactly what's happening. Um, thank you for being with us today. It's been a long day. My voice is a disaster, so I might even not talk the whole time today. Um, just kidding. Are you kidding? Um, but, uh, but thank you for joining us. No, I'm not. I'm of course <laughs> going to talk the whole time. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> so much to say. <laughs> so much to say, even though it was a relatively conservative day for the Canucks, um, you know, there, I think there's a lot to break down. Let me, let me start by asking you, what have you heard about the New York Islanders and the Vancouver Canucks and the big trade that did not happen and, in fact, may never have been? Yeah, and it, it's, it's interesting depending on who you believe because when, when Patrick Alvine stepped out and said, uh, he spoke to the media and, uh, and he basically said that there was never any conversations with the New York Islanders. And then Lou Lamorello, when he was asked about it, seemed a little bit put off and said, well, you'll have to go ask Vancouver. So which is it? And that certainly, you know, takes us back to 2013 when the Canucks and then New Jersey Devils, uh, Lamorello's team at the time, made the big trade for Schneider and Horvat, or what the pick that turned into Horvat. And he basically said, flat out, any leaks deals off. And there weren't any leaks and the deal happened. You know, it, it's rare to not have leaks here. And Elliot Friedman talks about, the, you know, the deal um, you know, a lot going on and it just being down to the detail phase. Earth himself said that a deal is done. Didn't say it was the JT Miller trade. Uh, didn't say it involved the 13th pick, whatever. Just basically said a deal was done. And then it just all fell apart at the draft table, according to some of them. Again, Patrick Alvin says nothing here. No smoke, no fire, nothing to see here. I got, I got to tell you. I don't believe him. Uh, I, there had to be something there. Otherwise, it would have been too easy for Lou Lamorello to say nothing happened. My gut reaction is that you're right, and there has to have been something. And yet, management sources are denying that they ever spoke with the Islanders about anything. Like, as far as I know, Senior Canucks brass might deny the existence of Lou Lamorello at the moment, right? Like, never chatted with the Islanders about a single player or draft pick at any point today, is what I've been told. And 
that's not on the record. I'm not talking about Alvin. I'm talking about like, hey, man, like what happened? I need to get to the bottom of this. Absolutely not. And in fact, we're getting annoyed about all the falsehoods out there every day about us and our players. Um, Come on. Yeah. Like, like it, it would it would shock me that someone of Elliot's stature would throw that out there if there wasn't something, some level of conversation. Okay, maybe we've all expected the JT Miller thing to happen for so long that we just believe it's a matter of, of you know, a switch being flipped at some point here. But I just don't think someone of that repute is going to put something out there where there at least hasn't been some level of conversation. And certainly many people believe that, uh, you know, it went so far as the Islanders getting permission to talk to JT Miller's camp and see if there was any kind of a contract extension to be had. That may have been one of the reasons it fell off the table. And maybe it didn't go that far. But again, I'm finding it difficult to digest. There was absolutely nothing. I agree with you. And and look, a trade falling apart on the draft floor at the last minute, that's standard. You know, like, it seems like a super dramatic occurrence to us because it's not our day-to-day. It feels like a money ball scene, you know, that precedes, like, one of those classic sports movie montages where you hear like the radio guys grinding them and like the call-in shows and you can like see the effect that it's having on their families. Like, you know, like (laughs) that's, I mean, it's not unusual. It's just not unusual. And yet the vociferousness with which it is being denied to me is atypical. Like, so, you know, I, I'm not in any way, presenting what I'm hearing about it as the last word so much as I agree with you like for me Friedman's the goat and you know I think he's been way ahead of almost everything with this team in particular for six seven months I have zero like when he says something's there with the Islanders I take it as gospel something is there with the Islanders and when it turns out to be a miss I suspect that something happened, 100%. And yet, the vociferousness of the response from the team, not just publicly, but privately too, is very unusual to me. And and it makes it a little bit difficult for me to decipher, to be totally honest with you. Yeah, I mean, you've even got guys like like Rick, who didn't go, go anywhere with this. You've got, you know, our guys at TSN, and certainly Bob McKenzie was ahead of the game on, on all things draft this weekend. Um they didn't touch it, right? They like they they didn't you know further it at all. So you know you wonder what that meant. I know I know Pierre did you know there was one tweet on it, but there really wasn't much on the TSN side. So uh, and certainly I have respect for for Elliot as well and and our guys as well. So the fact that they didn't go too deep on it, I, you know maybe that says something. I'm not sure, but uh, like I said, even even Rick Dollywell, who's got his hand into all of it and didn't um, didn't go there. So. Uh, it is interesting because I think everybody was waiting for it. And when the Islanders came up there and then they make a trade involving the Chicago Blackhawks, um, you know, I think we were all kind of uh, left with, with our mouths open a little bit here. Or sorry, uh, with, the, with the Habs. Yeah. Yes. Well, Habs, it was a three-way. And yeah. I can't believe they traded a first for Alexander Romanov, by the way. Well, that, that's the, that's it, right? So all of a sudden. Unbelievable. Is that the better option for the New York Islanders over JT Miller? Like, really? Well, and who knows if JT Miller was ever involved? You know, like no. I, I think a lot of people felt that that many many felt that it fell apart 
and that was Plan B for the Islanders. But like like you say, well, who knows but, if it? Who, know, who, who look knows? at some like, point? Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Okay, give it a week, and in a week, we're going to get the exclusive on the Athletic from Thomas Strantz breaking down a play-by-play of what happened, when it happened, and how it happened. And well, we will know at that I'm point that something I'll, happened. I, I don't think you're going to be able to read that at the Athletic tomorrow, but I'm hoping by the end of the draft, I have a better sense of it. Because tonight, all I got was denials, flat denials. And no one in the business had heard anything either. Right? Wow. So, you know, it's hard to think also, like, if there was a trade that was an analogous deal, because one thing I heard on the draft floor, right as the draft was getting set to begin, was watch for Vancouver and Montreal. And so when Vancouver, or when the trade started being announced, and we heard the Alexander Romanov portion, I thought, okay, Vancouver is the third team involved. And it was only once they weren't that I was stunned, right? Because I was like, okay, like I've heard some rumblings. I, w- I was, you know, told to dig on Montreal. So, you know, a lot of smoke, a lot of, Things that are tricky to handicap and see the truth of on draft day. And I, I, I just, I, this is one that genuinely is a mystery to me. I am so confused about it. I can't even handicap like what I think is the most likely thing that occurred. But I, I love the idea that Lou Lamorello nixed a trade because it leaked. I mean, that would just be hilarious. Like, I love it. But it would be so, that. it'd be so on brand for Lou. Oh, so in character, uh, in in every way. Um, yeah. So I mean, what I'm, happens I'm, now? So so what happens now? Okay. So we're, it's going to take well, some time to digest. Sorry, let's let's come back. Let's come back. Okay. Things were quiet around the Canucks yesterday. At midday, I checked in again. Things were still quiet. I think it was pretty quiet for them, up to and including on the draft floor. I think the club was not necessarily fielding significant offers so much as they were looking for an additional draft pick. Like, I think most of their conversations on the draft floor in like the two hours before the draft. Sorry, I don't know why I'm saying I think this. I've been told that their focus was really on adding a pick, right? And that's going to continue to be their focus into tomorrow. Um. I don't think they believe that they're going to be able to get a second based on the prices at the moment. And yet they look around at all these teams that have a ton of draft capital and wonder, like, do you really think you can sign all those guys? Like they sort of wonder if some picks shake loose just because some teams have so much artillery that they might be concerned about it, right? They might want to monetize some of it into other pieces. And yet, I don't think the Canucks feel like they're going to be able to make that second, um, like to get a second round pick. I think, I think they'll be happy if they can execute a trade down in the middle rounds and come away with seven draft picks. I think that will leave them very, very pleased. But that, that was the focus as I understood it. Um, you know, in, in that sort of window, I think there's a real, like, there's urgency to address the JT Miller situation, right? I believe that I've reported it. I've been consistent about it. I think the organization's actions are consistent with it, particularly given their effort to uh, take another run at getting them extended this week, right? You don't do that if you're like, well, we have time. Who cares, right? Like, 
their their behavior is consistent with a team that's aware of you know not a firm deadline but a but a and not a drop dead date but a a preference to have this sorted as opposed to lingering in sort of an uncertain space and yet i think there's a real effort to be calm that like nothing is accomplished by getting jumpy or anxious that their best bet is to wait for the right offer to come to them and to stick to it to stick to their ask to be a little bit stubborn about it and i think that's you know potentially become more complicated because of the fact that Debrinket and Fiala went for pretty similar prices, right? Um, kind of one premium pick, a top ten pick, or or um, or or a really really top end prospect in Brock Faber, and some additional valuable futures, right? So collection of seconds or or a, a late first in um, in the case of the Fiala deal. And so, you know, I don't know, I don't know that I'm like expecting fireworks from this team even tomorrow now. I I think the Canucks have some pretty conservative goals going into tomorrow and are comfortable fighting against the urge, like the bias for action right now and just kind of letting things unfold a little bit, even though they're aware that what they'd like to accomplish this offseason is awfully tricky if they aren't able to carve out some additional cap flexibility in the next four or five days. Do you get the sense though, that, you know, you talked about them wanting to be stubborn and they're not going to give in and they're not going to lower their asking price, especially what's happened with Fiala and Debrinket, like you say, but if that's the case, like how long are they willing to play this game of poker with JT Miller? Right. I mean, you mentioned they're still having discussions on the possibility of, of getting an extension. And, And I think there's an understanding that that's the least likely scenario. But if they're still going down that road, that means that they're willing to go into the free agency period and be held hostage by that situation. Like you said, you're not going to be able to get done what you want to get done without some movement on the cap front. And Miller can certainly provide you with that. So now you're going to wait. Okay, now we got to go into the season. And we get spun the story that, look, he was our best player last year. We're a better team with JT Miller. The asset is still there. And, you know, we, we, we've, still got, we've still got value here. Oh, now we're going to wait until the trade deadline. And then that situation hangs over the team and the player for the entire season. <coughs> it's not as simple as saying, oh, well, JT's willing to bet on himself. That's all well and good. But the team has to bet on themselves, their ability to execute, their ability to believe they've still got leverage. You know, can you imagine if they all of a sudden wind up keeping JT Miller in the fold without a new contract, and then you get to the, you know, the middle of the season or you get towards the trade deadline, and now they're in contention for a playoff spot. You think Francesco Aquilini is going to let him trade JT Miller at that moment? Hell no. So you're, like, you're playing a game of chicken with a lot of different people and a lot of different variables the longer this thing goes on. Well, I mean, I agree with you, and I think management's well aware of the risks that they take on holding on to Miller beyond the next little bit or not having his contract situation resolved. Like, I think there's a real awareness, a real understanding of exactly what that all looks like. And so, you know, it's the position of patience that the club has adopted is a pose, but, you know, I think they're stubborn enough to maintain it at least through the draft and probably through this weekend. And we'll see where it goes. They're kind of 
it, it feels to me like in wait and see what develops mode. And I, I, I mean, I, I think that is a risky play, but there's no resolution here that's not one, right? Like, so was he more valuable today than he will be on July the 13th? Because everyone's going to have a certain level of stress to get their version of clarity, right? So, you know, everyone's got their own pressure points in and around their own contracts because everybody wants to get something done. So is there still, you know, like how much more, like I said, how much more valuable was he in the last 24 hours over how he's going to be perceived in the next week based on everyone's needs? I think a lot of it depends on what happens with the forward market. Like, I think there's a reason that the forward market has been so soft. And I think it's partly related to the options that you have on the market. You know, JT Miller is a singular player, and I don't want to uh, diminish the extent to which um, there aren't other pieces like him. And yet, you can't ignore the fact that we are also living in a world where Philip Forsberg could shake loose in five days and Johnny Gaudreau had more points than him and could shake loose in five days. And Nazem Kadri almost sure to shake loose in five days and also is a center and a matchup center and a better defensive player. Right. And is very much a comparable piece. Um, it's not unprecedented for the free agent frenzy day to unfold. And thereafter, a player's value spikes. And I'll give you two really good examples. The um, Ottawa Senators, remember there was a week of speculation around Jason Spezza in his age 31 season. And they held him through the draft and were criticized. And they held him. And then at the very end of the free agent frenzy day, 2014, they traded him for, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of, like young players and I say young players, <laughs> Alex Chason was among them. <laughs> um, and, and Nick Paul, Alex Chason, Nick Paul in a second round pick. Actually the stars, the senators probably didn't do too bad in that trade all told. Now I think that was a pretty similar situation, right? Spezza was a year away from unrestricted free agency. The club knew they weren't going to be able to get him extended. Uh, they waited, they waited. They were ground for it publicly, and then they got decent value for Spezza after the free agent frenzy had unfolded, and some of the players that were still going to market had, you know, committed elsewhere, and then Dallas paid. Uh, here's another example for you: uh, Philip Grubauer signs in Seattle, and at the very end of free agent frenzy day, the uh, Colorado Avalanche pony up and pay a first and a really good young defense prospect in Connor Timmins. Um, in order to acquire Kemper from Arizona. So for me, the draft was always a false deadline. And it was a, a, an especially false deadline from a Vancouver perspective because Vancouver's priority was not getting a first-round pick in this draft. Like, that was not the prime target for them. So there was no pressure really on them to make the deal by today. I think the pressure comes later. And the organization will tell you, that the pressure will ramp up ahead of the trade deadline. But I think it comes a lot sooner than that. I think it comes in the next week. And I do think there's an awareness of the risks that they take on, even as the club's determined to wait it out and wait for their price to be met. Well, I mean, look, you're certainly, as you talked about it before, some work was done here. And generally the market is soft. 
you know, and as a result, if you can't get what you want at free agency, I mean, maybe it does make him just equally valuable, if not more so, because you don't have to sign everybody on the 13th as a free agent. You could still get it done via a trade now if that, if that is what, you know, suits your situation that much better. So I, like, I do agree. I think there's still a lot of um, value or leverage or just timing as it relates to July 13th. And I still think there's going to be a market for the player, but I, I would be really nervous if I was, if I was Alvin and Rutherford and we get to the end of the day on the 13th or early in the day on the 14th, and you're still sitting with this player, because at that point, it almost makes his contract leverage go up, right? Because if, if it doesn't look like you could move him, you better make sure from an asset management perspective that you don't like it, They can say all they want about we're comfortable going right to the trade deadline. I'm not convinced of that. I think what you weren't willing to pay today to get a contract, then you might be willing to pay on July the 14th. I think the, so I think, I think you're right. I think you're dead on bullseye hit Mr. Lalji. Um, I know Mr. Lalji is your father. Sorry, Farhan. Yeah. And, right. <laughs> and um, I'm a little bit older than you, but I still have more hair. Look, I want to get to a couple things that I'm seeing in the chat really quickly. Okay. So All one right, is from it. Ryan. One is from Ryan H who says Chicago ruined the market with the Brinket. The Chicago Blackhawks, who conducted a phony GM search, right, and then hired the people who were already in house, had an awful day today, like an awful day. Yeah, they did. it's it's humiliating to allow the Maple Leafs out of the Morazic deal while while trading back twelve spots, and moments later, moments later, um, Armstrong just absolutely, you know, tears a strip off the Edmonton Oilers' future, <laughs> like. Brutal. That's embarrassing. Now, I have a slightly different take on Debrinket than most writers you're you're going to encounter or 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 opinion havers in hockey. I think that the Debrinket deal is a really risky one for the Ottawa Senators. Like, I think we are massively underselling the amount of risk that the Senators have taken on in trading the seventh overall pick this year plus plus for Debrinket. And, and, you know, here's the key, like Debrinket has this heavily backloaded salary that was signed in October of 2019, right? So uh, three weeks after the Besser deal was, which means that the same rules that applied to Besser, right? Apply to Debrinket. His qualifying offer is based on his salary, not his cap hit. Do you know what his qualifying offer is going to be at the end of the season? Tell me. Nine. Oh, Nine million. So people are saying things like, well, Debrinket has, you know, two years of team control. No, he doesn't. Debrinket has, uh, has scored 73 goals in the last two seasons, which is incredible. Top six in the NHL. He literally has to play to that level, right? Like he legitimately has to be a 40 goal scorer to make it a simple decision. A simple decision, a straightforward decision to qualify him at all a year from now. And, you know, think about it this way. Like, there are 20 players in the entire league, 20, that make $9 million or more in terms of their AAV, right? Kirill Kaprasov, like, Miko Rantanen, Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, Alex Ovechkin. You know, like, there's some mistakes in there. There's some Bens and some Sagans and... Some guys like that, but like the 
the level you have to be at to justify that qualifying offer is insanely high. Like it's he's going to need a qualifying offer above Mika Zibanejad, above Leon Draisaitl, above Sebastian Ajo. And the Senators wow. have cash to burn. So the Senators have cash to burn. But doesn't this feel to you a little bit like the Miller trade for Vancouver. Like, I feel like they're accelerating too quickly out because they've got a GM with pressure to improve rapidly as opposed to because their group is really ready for it. Like, I look at this Ottawa Senators team and don't see the, like, I see a really good core of young guys, but I don't see that one elite piece. And I I just think they've taken on a ton of risk and actually paid a lot to do it. And from Chicago's perspective, you know, you'd like to have seen them get more. Uh, I think you can say that about just about everything Chicago did. I hated their day. I thought, I thought it was shameful. Honestly, like I thought it was embarrassing. And yet, and yet, I don't know that this is the home run for the Senators that people think. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like I get what Chicago was attempting to do in terms of trying to clear, uh, you know, clear space and chase Connor Bedard and have a true rebuild. Um, I'm not sure those are the players you move off from, right? I mean, you'd, you'd prefer to move off of some of the older players in their lineup. But, you know, you bring up the Miller example, and you're talking about when Vancouver acquired Miller from Tampa Bay, but JT Miller wasn't JT Miller then. Like, he didn't have that level of, like, the, the player we're seeing now as that, you know, exceptional two-way piece that's potentially a finishing piece. Like, you know, there was a lot of, you know, uncertainty around JT Miller. I mean, certainly he was, he was a solid player, good enough for the Canucks to give up a first-round draft pick for, and we certainly don't want to relitigate that trade uh, at this moment. But he's a significantly different piece today than he was then. The narrative around him and just the player in, in reality. Um. Yeah. No. I, sorry, and that's and that's absolutely fair. I, I'm more just talking about it from a timing perspective. Like I know I, I get like it. I get it. it. But but I'll, also I'd add that JT Miller. The JT Miller trade, A, cost the Canucks less to execute. Um, and then B, also Miller came with four years of really good certainty, right? Like no one expected what Miller has done out of him when he came to Vancouver, but you knew that they were getting a bona fide top six player with, with some upside sure. to do more than that. Um, yep. And cost controls. Whereas like if I'm Ottawa, I think you have to extend to bring it in the next, you know, 10 days. Like, you don't what want you? to be worried about the QO. Like, you want him locked up long-term before next season. You don't even want to deal with this. And I think you have to build that commitment into making the trade, which only enhances the outlay, only enhances the opportunity cost, and really sets just, like, such a high bar. Like, it has to be a top 15 player to justify all of the investment like the totality of the investment that the Ottawa senators have just made. And like, I like him a lot, but is he that, you know, or, or is he a guy you really love having on your team at seven and a half? Well, but, and here's, here's the other side of it from the Blackhawks perspective, they get the seventh overall pick and they reach on Kevin Korchinski, who, who some yeah. players had like outside the top 20 and they take him at seven. Oh yeah. And how about, how about my, uh, how about my boys in Columbus? Yurichik and my guy Denton Matejchuk. I was so happy when Denton Matejchuk went before the Canucks pick because I was just like, man, I was so nervous that I would have spent 15 years doing I told you so's. And instead, 
you know, my good buddies in Columbus have just built, have just built a, a, a friggin' top pair. <laughs> Not a bad day's work for them. Anyway, anyway, let's get back to the Canucks really quickly. Well, Miller let's look at the chat too. Yeah, the, sorry. So there was that question about, and then someone asked about the Miller AAV. And you got to be thinking it's eight and a half. Like that's, that's bare minimum eight and a half. And if the Canucks are really intent on managing term, which has been reported elsewhere, and I want to be clear that I have not heard that directly. Like my sources aren't commenting on the negotiations to that level of minutia. And you know me, you know me, I'm not going to tell you I know something when I don't, right? Like you're, and you're, and you're big on minutia. And I'm big on minutia. I would love to, I would love to break down the JT Miller offers for you at length. I just don't have it. The one thing I do have though is, Again, all sides of the negotiation denied um, vociferously that a max term deal was tendered by the Canucks this week. So that tells you something anyway uh, about the term. And I wonder, you know, is part of the issue that the Canucks would would go relatively high on term, but wouldn't up the term further to adjust for them buying fewer years. Like, I wonder if that's kind of the the rut uh, that the negotiation is hitting. Again, that's not me reporting anything. Uh, what I know about it is that the side tried again, uh, the Canucks, the sides tried again this week, the Canucks upped their offer. They're, they were motivated to try and do the deal and that, um, and that it wasn't a max term offer. Those are, that's all I can tell you with confidence about it. Uh, you know, you'll have to rely on other people for that. Um, let's talk really quickly though about Leckermackie now, right? Like it's time to talk about the actual thing the Canucks did today as opposed to all the things they didn't do. We're only uh, 30 I, minutes into the show. You, you, like, we don't have to, you know, we can still wait. Well, we spent 10 minutes on the drink at. We got to get some people on the stage, too, in a minute here. We got, we got know, four know, people waiting, so we do need to go let's there. Do, let's, let's do 10 minutes on Lecker Mackey, and then we'll move right. on. Done. First of all, first of all, I'm very, very pleased with my reporting about the Canucks list. Yep. Um, I'll pat you on the back, because you had... Lucker Mackey as one of two that they were really, really hoping that were going to fall. So yeah. I, 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 too, was impressed. And uh, and I, I'm pretty sure, too. Well, I'm not pretty sure. I know because my intel was dead on. And, you know, as a draft unfolds and your intel is dead on, you think, you know, you, you know, you did the work. You know, you verified with multiple contacts. Like, you know, you did it. But as it plays out, you're still a little nervous. Like, you know, as the pick approached, for example, I was like, you know, the one guy who I really didn't think would be here at all, and I never really even asked what they thought about him, was uh, was that Kemmel kid. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's approaching, and I'm like, I know Lecker Mackey's the apple of their eye, but I never even asked about this guy because I was sure he'd be gone. And so, you you know, you get those moments, and, and as the Canucks stepped up, uh, I was able to confirm that it was Lecker Mackey. That they were making that pick. And what's interesting too is Alvin talked about this a little bit, but I have a few more details that I can share with you. As the board started to shape up a little bit oddly, and I think it was really after the Matechuk pick that they realized, oh, like we might have our shot at, we, we might have two guys we really like on the board if we trade back a bit. And so within five picks, they did start to try and move back in order to pick up that second round pick, but they were never going to do that if Lecker Mackey was still on the board, right? Like the idea of the Canucks doing a trade down 
would have been if they could have traded down and felt comfortable that they would have gotten one of Usland or Ugrin, they would have done so, or at least they would have considered it more closely. Once the picks unfolded in front of them and Leckermacki was still there, that was off the table. They were taking Leckermacki. I, they had him in their top 10. There were teams around the league that had him in their top five. He's an exceptionally rare player type, right? Like there aren't a lot of pedigree guys who have produced the way he did in the SHL last season. And, and those that have are uniformly NHLers, right? Like I've got basically like he's got a rare profile, basically got like seven or eight comps ever for this guy. And only three of those guys were taken in the top two rounds. And all three of those guys are playing meaningful minutes in the NHL. One of them's a star. Read my article tonight uh, for more about that research. But uh, a very talented player. The team was doing cartwheels that he was around. And yet, you know, he is still a player type that I don't love. Like, I'm always really nervous about the non-elite shoot first forward at the NHL draft. Like I think about Vertanen, I think about Owen Tippett, I think about Eli Tolvanen. Like I always think you're better off being a high-end playmaker unless you're like Stankos, like a really top marksman. Um, Because once you get to facing NHL defenses and NHL goalies, you know, you can have a world-class shot and still not be a remarkable driver of offense, right? Your ability to problem solve. Uh, play in dirty areas that stuff all starts to matter more and you know I think where the Canucks really differed were outliers in terms of their view of Lekkermacki one of the reasons that he was so much higher on their list than he was on on some other teams although they certainly weren't unique in having him rated very highly is that they bought his playmaking being at a high level and there were some teams that didn't. And that's kind of why, that's part of why he slipped. Additionally, some concerns about whether or not he's going to be able to, as uh, you know, a guy who profiles right now as being an above average skater, but not more than that, right? Like this is a guy who's going to probably need to add a step to be a really lethal uh, winger in the NHL. Um, sub six foot, right? Some, some teams saw him as a perimeter oriented player. So, you know, his upside will be determined by his ability to add weight, play in, play in NHL areas, like play in dirty areas, and uh, presumably add a step or, or at least half a step on his way. Uh, but certainly the skill, the shot, the passing, uh, the Canucks believe highly in all of that. And no one around the industry debates the shot or the overall dynamism that he brings. Uh, so that's my that's my quick sense on on Lekomaki and the, and the view of him from the draft floor. Should we go to the stage, bud? Yeah, we should. Uh, but first, real real quick, like I mean, what's what's a timeline for a player like this? It, it, I was kind of amused. The Canucks list him as 17 years old. The Vancouver Giants, who also put a release out on him, list him as 18 years old. They say he's 5'11". The Canucks say he's 5'10". But you know, a, a smallish winger. The Canucks are talking about keeping him in Sweden uh, as opposed to com- having him come here and play play juniors so you know again perimeter oriented a guy that needs dad weight in the low 170s for uh four weights you know two years three years how long before connect fans can expect to see him well 
it's almost good that he's going back to a lower level. Like, you know, his team got relegated out of the SHL last season. Um, I think there's some appeal uh, of the idea that, you know, he'd go back and get really big minutes at a lower level. Um, I think the club is going to talk to him. They, I think they do want to get a sense of, of who he is. I think they're excited about the idea of him going back to Sweden. I think they like the idea that he's going to play the world juniors twice in six months. <laughs> um, you know, I know they're, they're excited to have him out at development camp. And, and my guess would be, you know, if you can have him play pro for a year uh, in Sweden, in the Allsvenken, um, you've set things up where you've got Mikhail Samuelson out there, right? You've got resources for him out there so that you can keep track of him, so that you can keep working with him, you know, in a more hands-on way than, than you would have been able to work with a Swedish player five years ago. You know, Pedersen and Bakwa, for example. And thereafter... You know, I honestly think it's one year away from turning pro. And then who knows until he makes the league. Yeah, maybe maybe it's two, three years. But, you know, one year before you turn him pro, because I think eventually, surely, you're going to want him putting in time with the Twins. Like, you know, you, you want someone who can, who can uh, tell a guy with a great shot, like, hey, this is the weight you have to put on, and this is the step you have to add, and this is the playmaking willingness that you have to do, like, those guys seem like pretty good mentors, especially for a young Swedish player, right? Um, so, you know, I, I'd, I'd probably rate him as a year out from the system, two, two to three years out from making any type of impact in the NHL. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to the, uh, let's get to the stage. Let's do it. All right. We're going to start with Sean W., who, by the way, is one of our most prolific and insightful question askers. So I know he's going to take this conversation in a very, very interesting direction. Sean W., are you on the stage? Can you hear me? My guy? I talked you up, and now you're not here. Put your hand back up, bud. I might have X'd you. I'm so sorry. I'm like, I've been up a long time. I'm going to go to Thomas F., and then hopefully Sean W. re-raises his hand, and we'll have him back. Was there any Tyler Myers chatter today? And what do you think his value is across the league? With whether or not to present this, because I have it from multiple other team sources, but I haven't actually run it by the Canucks yet. I haven't given them a chance to react, so I'm going to have to save it, I guess. Uh, just just out of um, an abundance of caution, considering how hard it is to cover this team right now. I want you to know that if I'm presenting something, I, I know it. Like, it's it's bulletproof. But... Uh, Myers was not among the players that I heard, um, you know, teams engaged in, uh, in, in, in chatter about, um, the guys that I've, you know, continual or, or uh, that I know have been topics of conversation, uh, with more teams, uh, Miller, obviously. Um, and then, 
Um, a couple of other guys, but Myers not among them. Uh, just let me confirm it. Let me confirm it, and I'll present it probably in like an end of draft day two notebook that we'll publish on the Athletic. I, I apologize for that. Farhan, you hearing anything though? Nope, nothing at all. Uh, you know, I, there was a lot of talk around Myers during the week. I know we've debated many times about his value being significantly higher a year from now, uh, and that the the organization does like him. I mean, they they want to minimize what his role is, but they they're not necessarily anxious to move on from him, but given the cap situation, they're not going to say no to, to listening to whatever's out there. But I, I have not heard anything today in terms of meaningful movement around Tyler Myers. As, as for his trade value, I mean, look, I, I think I think if you can get a second for him, you get that and run. Um, do I think he could have even more value than that, though, if you were taking salary back? I do. So I uh, I just think, though, with Myers, I remain convinced that he's a hold. I think he has way more value a year from now than he has today. And so he's a hold for me. I didn't hear much about him. Um, you know, even as his name has been bandied about in rumors, like if you go read the um, offseason primer that I put together um, at the start of this week, you know, I included Myers because other people are talking about him. But I'm not hearing a lot of it. Like, I think the club likes him. And that sort of remains kind of my default view of it. All right. I want to pull Sean W. back up because he raised his hand again. Man, you uh, put the put the pressure on a little bit. Re- <laughs> I gassed you up, bud. <laughs> had, to, had to reread the question back in my head, make sure it's good enough. <laughs> no. Um, I, uh, so, so questions, obviously, about about JT Miller. Um and a group chat going today with my dad and, and brothers. And uh, my dad was, you know, starting to brandish his pitchfork a little bit as the day was unfolding. And, you know, they weren't announcing any kind of trade and Canucks weren't getting involved. And I was trying to talk him down a little bit with, you know, this isn't the leverage point. This isn't kind of, you know, when it ultimately does matter. But I was kind of creeping in my head like, man, they're going to run out of dance partners to try and do some kind of deal with. And it's obviously pretty complicated. You mentioned, and I, I like the way you put it, that this was kind of like a false deadline. What would you mm-hmm. sort of view as the inflection point where, you know, if they hadn't made a trade? And then, I mean, I think we can, I don't know, you might not agree, but I think we can kind of assume that a lot of the contract stuff is partially just for leverage and a contract isn't that realistic. At what point would you sort of be like, yikes, if they haven't made a move to trade or, or sign him? Yeah, just relative to the timeline. Like, what, what, what should, where should we sort of be focusing on from the timeline perspective with the negotiation and, or I guess the, the trade evaluation? Yeah, it's a good, it's a really good question. Thanks, Sean. Um, I, I, I mean, for me, it's something like July 15th. We're probably a week out from where I start to get critical. You know, where I start to be like, I don't know. I wonder if they should have taken their best offer here. Um, Because I think thereafter, I think thereafter, you have to accept that some of the dynamics around Miller change. Like right now, particularly if there's a team that can extend him, I think you're, you're able to trade him in a package where he might be valued as a core piece. And thereafter, I think he's basically a rental. And, you know, that you're still probably getting a first round pick, but I don't know that you're getting the type of piece that they've been holding out for 
And I think to some extent you have to judge a trade based on what the club itself wants. So for me, by about July 15th, I'll probably start to get a little itchy in terms of my own coverage and my own tone around it changing. But, you know, if it happens before uh, the season at any point, because we do see those deals happen sometimes. Like we saw Danny Heatley traded in late August. Like we do sometimes see bigger trades occur. Uh, you know, the Matt Duchesne trade, the, the famous one with tourists involved, um, that happened in December. And some of those players were um, expiring. So, you know, I just, I just don't want to see this team end up in a Mark Stone situation where you get a second and like an okay prospect back, um, which is what happens in my view when you wait, when you wait too long with some of these guys. I just see no upside in waiting. Like I just see no upside in waiting. So for me, you know, the more meaningful deadline is something like July 15th. Like once the free agent market is settled, I think you need to be prepared to accept what the market will bear one way or the other. And I still expect that the team will be able to get first plus and maybe first plus plus at that point. But I, but I think that, you know, I think that necessity comes in the next week. What, what are your thoughts, Farah? Well, uh, truthfully, I, like, I, I agree with what you're saying that the real deadline is in and around that 14th, 15th, which we talked about earlier, but, I'm curious to know what's going through JT Miller's mind right now, because we're certainly talking about it from the connection potential suitors. But we also saw a report yesterday that suggested if he's going to get moved, he'd like to get moved to an American team. Like JT Miller emotionally has been preparing to move on. Right. I, mean, I want to know. Becoming... I want to note, though, I have never heard that. Well, that may be. But let's suppose that he's wrapping his head around the fact that, look, they're just too far apart from a contract perspective. Right. The agent is telling him that, you know, you're you're worth more. You can get more, Um, you know, and I just wonder if he has emotionally moved on. Right. And what does that do for the club at that point? Because for me, you know, I said it before that all of a sudden the leverage is going to flip back to the player, because if they can't get a move by the 15th, let's say um, they really need to protect the asset and get him signed and not go through the the rolling of the dice of getting him into the season. Maybe he underperforms. Maybe the team does so much that the owner's just not going to let you make a move, whatever it happens to be. So I, I just don't think they want to get into that muck. But if you're JT Miller and you've already divested yourself emotionally from this team, like I don't think JT Miller's going to hold out or do anything silly like that. I think if he's got to be part of the team, he's going to come in and try to be a good soldier. But <laughs> I just, he's, I just, he's, he's just not wired. He's just not like, you know. No, he's he too competitive. But my point is, my point no, is, he, is also, he would have he less is, desire at that point to sign a contract like on the 15th, if, yeah. as I say, the pressure goes on the Canucks to get him signed and protect the asset, he might just be that much less interested in signing a, a, with this team at that point. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm sorry. I also, the, the key thing about JT that I think, like, I think he's got a pretty blue collar work ethic in terms of, like I show up to work and I work hard when I show sure. up to work, you know, like I actually think all true, all simple. true. I think it's a pretty simple set of um, considerations for him. But I, again, I've never heard the Canadian team thing. It makes sense. I just have never heard it. And I've always thought the idea that Vancouver is not a place he would sign. Like, I've always heard the opposite. I've always heard 
that, you know, that group of American players really get along well. Um, so, you know, that's just not something that I've heard. And, uh, I, I gotta say it, even though, um, even though I trust the reporter who's reported it, uh, and they've had a lot of really good intel and been in, in a lot of ways ahead of this situation, uh, as it's unfolded, I, I just want to note that that's not something that I'd heard typically. All right. I've got anonymous user. Is that, am I the anonymous user? You are. Who are you, sir? Uh, my name is Lance. Lance, Hi, Lance, welcome to the stage. Thank you oh, for joining us. Oh, man, it is my privilege. <laughs> I, have to take, I have to take notes here or else my synopsis in my brain would be going way too crazy here. So uh, let me get off. I truly I have to take notes here. <laughs> I truly thought well, that go. Trader Jim would be coming out here tonight, so I'm a bit disappointed. That's my first note. Uh, let me get through this here, boys, and you can get back to me. Uh, here we go. I think after the four first defensemen were taken, that kind of made it that we we're definitely going to take best available. Because I think if a defenseman was available, we probably would have taken him because we freaking need one. That was the next one. Plus, I wanted to thank Farhan for liking my tweet and responding. So I had to pour a Rick Dollywall for him. I'm just <laughs> sipping on that right now. Let me have a let me have old Ricky for him. <laughs> okay let me get back to this here okay here it is this is it the crux of my whole call i think what the blackhawks did tonight is what the canucks have been asking for for eight years the blackhawks might have got fleeced but like you said the Brinkat was going to cost them too much and plus i think they're gambling for bedard and if you don't buy a ticket boys you can't win the fucking gambling sorry <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. So don't worry. I swear all the time. Yeah. So if you don't buy a ticket to the dance, you can't win. And the Bedard sweepstakes are the real sweepstakes next year. So what they did was drop assets. And so, like, when guys like Kane, Tate, Siebert came, they all were around the same age age, or were coming around their prime at the same time. So even though Debrinkat and whoever they got rid of, Kirby Doc, they're great players, but they're four years ahead of their next window, just like a Horvat or just like uh, Miller is. They're, they're they're just above the window. We need to cater our guys to guys like uh, Pedersen, our goaltender. Here, I got to look at my notes again here. Demko, <laughs> Pedersen, Hughes. Yeah, I get all flustered here. But anyways, it was a pleasure. I'm just saying, is Miller going to be Goudreau 2.0? I don't know how I got there, but bye-bye. <laughs> Boy, a lot to, un- lot to unpack there. Lance, Lance, a delightfully unhinged call. <laughs> this is Canucks it. Twitter right there. Canucks, Let's Canucks Athletics uh, VIP is right there. By the way, I saw Ryan H. He just raised his hand again. He's going to be next up. And then we're going to go through the five people who have got their hands raised right now. And then that's it because I still have to write. And then I still have to cover a day two tomorrow. I have to be back at the rink for nine thirty. So I uh, I've got to um I've got to go do that. So these five callers, you're our last five callers. Ryan H, you're up next, by the way, because I see that you've re-raised your hand. Lance coming in in defense of the Chicago Blackhawks scorched earth rebuild. The problem for the Blackhawks is that just a year ago. They traded for Marc-Andre Fleury and Seth Jones. Like, they boxed themselves in so badly that they had to trade a 21-year-old center, who, by the way, I don't like very much. Like, I'm not a big Doc fan. The fact that there was a three-way trade with Doc and Romanov in it, two guys that I think are, like, two of the most overrated 
players in the hockey Twitter community um, was delightful. I, like, I, it, it almost made me smile if I wasn't so annoyed. Um, the Blackhawks box themselves into needing to do something this dramatic because of how badly they've messed it up. Like, the rebuilds that I applaud are the ones that begin proactively. And I think about the Columbus Blue Jackets last year as the perfect example of that, right? Like the, the black, uh, sorry, the Blue Jackets last year, you know, they missed the playoffs one time and all of a sudden they're like, okay, Seth Jones, bye. Um, and they got this massive return. Like the Seth Jones pick, the first round pick became Yerichek, you know? Um, they also got Sillinger and they got Bockvist who's 22 and scored 10 goals this year. Like you combine those guys with their own pick in Kent Johnson, ridiculously good, by the way, and the pick that they got Denton Matejchuk out of there. I mean, they're picking all my guys. First of all, they're picking all my guys. Secondly, the 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 Seth Jones bounty now includes Yurichik, Bockfist, and Sillinger. Those guys might all play for them next year. That's a ridiculous wow. boatload of talent. If you if you enter proactively into a rebuild then you're making trades from the front foot, right? If you enter a rebuild like Chicago and also conducted a phony uh, GM search and haven't properly taken accountability for all the terrible things your organization has done and your owner's absolutely toxic commentary. I mean, it's not a coincidence that their owner's outburst causes cat-friendly Dom to leave the organization and then they do and then they fail to properly evaluate cap space in a trade six months later. You know, it's like they are who they are. And you do not under any circumstances got to hand it to them, in my view. They, they, they entered this rebuild kicking and screaming. They made these trades off the back foot. In a, in a vacuum, I think they ducked a lot of risk on Debrinket. And I, I think that overall decision to pull the trigger was better than people realize. I'm not a big Doc fan, so to get what they got for Doc, I, you know, I like. And yet, this Blackhawks experiment is going to take years um, to get right, partly because of the mess that they're only a year removed from making. I, I don't want to see a team screw up and then launch a rebuild. I want to see a team realistically assess where they're at and make the move with, discipline and focus at the right moment for the team all right ryan h you're up thanks for taking my question uh and i appreciate you farhan and dreads and being the voices of reason in such a passionate market uh that being vancouver and us crazy knuckleheads here uh anyways my question uh a little out of the box thinking here so given the market that's uh seems to be percolating for jt do you think that the canucks preference is to move out cap space of just any other players so that we can meet the contract demands of JT and sign him long-term. Thanks guys. You're awesome. I'm sorry, Ryan. Um, I would like to answer your question, but at the key moment, uh, the reception just gave out. I want to give you a couple seconds. I'm going to take a question from Jakob and, but, but I'm going to monitor the chat and the moment, like if you just type that out for me, I'm so sorry. I just couldn't quite make it out. Uh, but the moment I see it and can read it, I will uh, I will give you uh, the full answer that you are uh, entitled to and richly deserve for joining us uh, and being willing to ask a question. So I'm I'm sorry, Ryan. 
Type it out in the chat. I will come back to it, okay? In the meantime, though, I'm going to Jakob first. Jakob, you got us. Yeah, I got you guys. So on, honestly, we should trade uh, JT Miller for Lance, to be honest. I think that's worth any sort of value <laughs> package we could get. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how the hell I'm going to be able to follow that call, but I'll try my best to at least be remotely entertaining. Um, so uh, I'm watching this show tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm watching the draft, and, and I, I wanted to be like this optimistic Canucks fan, right? The new regime Canucks fan, Jim Rutherford. You know, he brought in like 76 people to work on the staff to talk to every single person on the floor and just kind of be excited that there's a good chance there's going to be a bunch of trades that are going to happen and, and Trader Jim's going to show up. And and what happened is basically not much. Uh, we, we drafted the right guy, which was nice to see. And uh, he's, uh, he's an incredibly talented kid, uh, by the way. And uh, he, he has probably probably the second best shot in the entire draft. Uh, I've seen quite a bit of the kid um, just through YouTube, yep. and that makes me a professional scout. And uh, honestly, <laughs> just, just moving... And just, just honestly, like I'm thinking right now, we have 5.6, like give or take million dollars in cap. Like it's not, it's not a question on like can we make a trade or if we can make a trade. It's, it's a we have to make a trade. Like we have four roster spots. We're not going to fill them all up with 900 to 1.5 million dollar people. It doesn't make any sense. So it, it, when I when I just look at all this going down, I'm tomorrow's coming in, right? JT Miller's still kind of floating around. They have to make this deal either tomorrow or by the end of the week because once the teams know the desperation is in and and the the, the you know the draft is over, like the, the value is going to go down. It's not going to go up. There's no way it's going to go up. Yeah, there might be a team that gets desperate with the Cadre. You know, if Cadre goes somewhere, another another forward goes somewhere. But at the end of the day, like you, you're going to have desperation, and the other teams are going to be thinking this is a chance to get JT Miller and. uh that's pretty much all I got to take. Uh, great show. I love the show. I listen to it every week and uh, take care. Jakob, love it. Thank you for joining us. I think there's a valid concern there for sure. And that's sort of why I wonder about this as a Spezza like situation, like as a situation where once the dust settles, if there might be one of those contending teams that, you know, didn't get cop and didn't get Strom or doesn't like the prices that you'd have to pay for a cop. You might get a situation where the pendulum shifts a bit, you know, and pressure is applied to another team and not just the Canucks. And I think that's perhaps the moment to strike. But, you know, the team is avoiding looking at it as a deadline. They are aware of the risks. And, you know, I think there's this like mad scientist attempt to time this out so that they get the piece they really think they need in order to part with JT Miller. All right, I'm just going to go quickly check the chat and see if uh, our guy Ryan... Okay, out of the box, question from Ryan. Given the market value for JT that seems to be out there, is the preferred route for the Canucks moving out cap space from somewhere else on the roster to meet JT's contract demands or just to trade him outright? Yeah, that's a really good question. For me, I think... For me, I think you got to look at, I think, I just think it's going to be too tight if the team signs all of this core group. I think it's going to be too tight to keep the group together. Like, I just, I don't see how you balance the team or improve enough to ice a contender 
with this entire core group locked up to the raises that they'll all need uh, by the 2023-2024 season. And, and, you know, within that, JT's the guy who I think brings the biggest return and also is the oldest. And so for me, it's not, it's just not that complicated. Like if you look at, and Dom Lecision sent me today, some of the G, uh, game score value added comps that, that sort of come out when you look through JT Miller's track record and it's loaded with cautionary tales. It's like, you know, there's no Louis Erickson, but there's Jamie Ben and Jakob Borchek and, you know, a, a, a bunch of guys like that who never really hit the same level uh, after their age 30 season and, and often after they got paid. And so I think that has to be the governing, you know, uh, sort of risk assessment that the Canucks take into account as they as they move forward here. All right, Terrence V, you're up. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, really fun draft tonight. Um, I just was wondering if you guys had any insight as to whether the Canucks have any urgency to uh, get into the second round. Um, a lot of intriguing names. Um you know, 33 onwards, 33 to 50. Uh, but at the same time, I hate to think of Garland getting traded for a couple of seconds or trading Myers out for a late second or an early third. And just to have, you know, a bright, brand new shiny object that we might not even be able to use for three or four years. So I just wanted to see what your insight was in that respect. Thanks for having me. I actually have this answer for you. The Canucks would love to get back into the second round. I don't think there's a lot of momentum that leads them to be confident going into tomorrow that they're going to be able to accomplish it, but they're trying. They're trying. They want to get back in the second round. If they can't get into the second round, they still want to add another draft pick. They're working on it. There is a sense of urgency on it. It's just that the price has to be right. And again, I think they're willing to let a team come to them if that's what it takes. So that's where the Canucks are positioned. We're going to take one last question. I'm sorry, Sean W. I'm sorry, Jakob. Sorry, Grant H. But this was our cutoff point that I announced 10 minutes ago. I still have to write. I'm going to eat pizza. It's already 1 a.m. here. I have to be back at the rink at 9.30. And after I go to the rink, by the way, I'm flying home. Like, the moment day two leaves, I'm going to Trudeau Airport. And I'm flying back to YBR. And then I'm sleeping for, like, five hours. And then I'm flying to Tofino to be at one of my best friend's weddings. And then I'm driving back the very next day and I'll be grinding away on Monday for qualifying offer deadline and all that's set to come before free agency. So I apologize, I'll be but I do have to run away. Tomorrow. I'm sorry? I'm Toronto tomorrow. I said I'm flying oh, into uh, Toronto tomorrow. Looking forward to the mess in that airport. Your favorite place. Um, all right, Graham. The, team that ju- the city that just got smashed by Seattle today, 8-3. to three. I just thought oh, I'd throw that in there. I know. I'm so mad at you for bringing it up. Gentlemen. Had Graham. To bring it up. How are we? Uh, well, I was better before Farhan mentioned the Mariners score, but otherwise, was, doing you great. know what? How are you? I was actually waiting this entire time to bring that up that they we actually they lost. I mean, I guess the Mariners are just better, eh, Farhan? That's what I say. Five straight wins, buddy. They're they're coming. <laughs> and Thomas, I just had pizza too from Domino, so good, good nice. call. So, uh, I don't know where I don't know where Harmon ordered it from. <laughs> he ordered a chicken pizza though. <laughs> so I, I I just got a quick question with J T Miller. Did was always the intention to get into the 2023 first round? Did like did do you think that they thought that maybe that was a better bat, uh, better draft class? 
Yeah, it's an interesting question. Thanks, Graham. Um, so I think they do generally prefer the 2023 draft class. I think they also like the players here. I think they're really happy with where their list is at. Um, you know, I've been talking to various folks around the organization and the amount of communication and guidance that it seems that they like just the, just the raw amount of touch points that it seems like their rank and file scouting staff have with the likes of Cami Granado and Derek Clancy is completely different than what it was under Benning and Weisbrod, like completely different in terms of the level of guidance and management involvement in the entire communication apparatus around the process. I think they're really happy with their list. I think they like some of the players here and I think they want to add a second rounder if they can. And yet all of that said, you know, we have proof of concept with the mod trade, right? Like we know that at least to some extent, uh, that 2023 draft class looms large in their mind as being somewhat stronger. And and so um, in terms of the first round pick dynamic uh, and the JT Miller return, the priority across the board is young roster players. Like they want young players. They, they, they are ultimately trying to do like a smarter, more disciplined version of the Jim Benning acceleration plan that we saw in the early part of his tenure. And, I don't like that. I've said it repeatedly. I want to see teams get cash in hand. And yet, you know, um, it, it does, I think, explain some of why they didn't view day one of the draft and, and the, the sort of um, occurrence of the first round itself as any kind of a hard deadline in the JT Miller uh, situation. All right. Sean, I'm sorry. I'm not taking your call. I got to go. I got to go eat some food and write a good article for everyone to read. I apologize. Um, when I, when we're doing the show again, I will have had like two more nights of drinking. So I'm sure my voice will sound even worse than it did on the show. I'm sure it'll crack every 10 minutes. But I love you guys for joining us. The amount of listeners and the amount of engagement and the fact that we had the birth of Lance on this show. Um just epic like epic we're so grateful for your support we're so happy to count you among the vips thank you for joining us to discuss all things canucks and i think i think we might commit although my travel schedule might have something to do with it but i think we might commit to doing an emergency episode in the event that number nine is at any point ever dealt or extended like i think i will commit to that come hell or high water we'll find a way to make it work um So expect that. Otherwise, you'll hear from us on Monday. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy day two of the draft. It should be fascinating. Thanks, everyone.